a busy, busy weekend for the Phoenix Suns. What does the Robert Sarver expected ESPN bombshell story mean for this franchise? And what did we learn on a road trip back-to-back in Los Angeles and Portland? A big win followed by a big loss. We'll get into all of it right on Locked on Suns. Network, your team every day. We are back. This is Locked On Phoenix Suns. I'm your host, Brendan Clean, covering the Suns the past five seasons as a credentialed media member and your host here every single day. Thank you for making Locked On Suns your first listen every single morning. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network here for you and giving you the latest Suns news, analysis, and insight every day. A lot to get to. On this fine Monday, happy weekday, happy back to the start of the week to all of you, happy Monday. I hate saying happy Monday because it uh, usually is not happy, but uh, welcome back to another week and uh, one that should figure to be pretty hectic for the sun. So I won't waste any more time. We know what the deal is here today and it started on Friday. Um... Started on Friday with a surprising and abrupt and jarring report from Jordan Schultz, uh, formerly of ESPN, now who does work with The Boardroom and is the co-host of CJ McCollum's pull-up podcast. He tweeted um, a little bit of a bizarre scoop, to be honest. I don't love the um, nature of these types of things, but basically said that there is going to be a story coming, not by him, but by a reporter at ESPN who John Gambadoro would later say was Baxter Holmes, the longtime investigative NBA reporter over there, that this story would be coming and that the allegations included racism and sexism and could be bad enough that the NBA would be pushed to oust and maybe ban, whatever it might be, Robert Sarver from the league. Of course, like I said, John Gambadoro would later talk about um, this a little bit on the radio and tweet about it. We will get into the games, guys, as well, but we have to start here. And that was the big story heading into the weekend, heading into the Friday night game. And as the days or as the hours ticked by in the day toward the Lakers game on Friday night, nationally televised, mind you, a big matchup, a big rivalry, a rematch of the opening round of last year's playoffs. The Suns decided to go ahead and release a statement themselves. So they said, as a team, not attributed to any one person, we understand that ESPN is considering publishing a proposed story, documentary evidence in our possession, and eyewitness accounts directly contradict the reporter's accusations. However, they did not go on to state what those accusations are or who these folks are that they have eyewitness accounts from that contradict what may be coming in this story, which the current projection is that it is coming on Tuesday. I don't know why. That could also be Monday. I'm not sure. The Suns don't play again until Wednesday. So, of course, I will be right here to react to whatever it is. But the statement continued from Robert Sarver that he's wholly shocked by some of the allegations purported by ESPN about me. Goes on to say, while I can't begin to know how to respond to some of the vague accusations made by mostly anonymous voices, can certainly tell you that some of the claims I find completely repugnant to my nature and to the character of the workplace, 
And I tell you they, and I can tell you they never ever happened. He goes on to say he couldn't, didn't begin to know how to prove that something didn't happen, and it is difficult to erase or forget ugly, ugly allegations. He categorically denied any and all suggestions that he used disparaging language related to race or gender. Jason Rowley went a little bit more aggressively saying, with respect to recent reports about a forthcoming ESPN article, I will simply say that we are aware of the false narratives it contains and plan to respond accordingly. This story is completely outrageous and false. Jason Rowley, by the way, folks, is the president and CEO of the franchise. Just catching you all up really quick. I'm sure some of you have seen or heard this statement already, but he would. Rowley went on to say, I will also say that the reporter in this instance has shown a reckless disregard for the truth. Rally accuses Baxter Holmes of harassing employees, former employees, and family members, as well as using truths, half-truths, and rumors to manufacture a story. As an aside from me, Brendan, I don't know how you can use a truth to manufacture a story. That is not a very um, logical way to battle against the narrative that Baxter may or may not be putting out there with this piece, but anyway... The quote continues that perpetuate a completely false narrative within the sports industry to back it up. His tactics throughout this process, Rally says, have been without any basis in journalism ethics or even morality. So um, a few of you were asking questions here, and I will weave some of your questions into all of this stuff and um, try to incorporate your thoughts and, 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 and wonderings on all of it, um, one of you guys was asking if my freaking notifications will load. <laughs> um, he said, Will Cook, let's say that there's a lot of truth in the Sarver report, but not enough for the league to banish him. Would Suns fans continue to support him in the team, or do they boycott and try to run him out of town? People were asking, did this Sarver story um, cause the poor play on Saturday. Um, I don't really believe that one because they played pretty well on Friday. That was from Pedro at P Valenzuela 24. So I appreciate you guys all thinking about this. Obviously, I know it is the top story. I don't necessarily have... I don't... I have a lot of thoughts. I don't want to share a ton of guessing until we hear more from um, Baxter Holmes or, or whomever contributed. I would imagine this is something where a lot of people might have put this together. I wouldn't be surprised if it's, you know, Arnovitz and Windhorse and Woj, one of those three guys helped with this piece. But at the end of the day, I want to read it before I say anything. So uh, before I give thoughts more deeply on like, Will, your question as a hypothetical, would Suns fans continue to support him and the team? Or I mean, I can't speak for Suns fans. I can't speak to any of that until we see it. What I will say is, I went into reporting mode the minute that this came out, as I'm sure everyone who covers this team did. And what I will tell you is um, I got basically two types of responses when I asked around. Um, I won't, I, I offered anonymity to the people that I spoke with because this has not come out yet. And they, most of the folks that I spoke with either are no longer working with the team or are at, in positions where they are not wanting to talk uh, on the record. So with that said, the buckets that I think I could sort the responses that I received from the folks that I spoke with into are one, bucket number one is um, I don't know exactly what's in the story 
but I'm not surprised to hear that something like this might be coming out. That was one of the categories of response that I think you could say that that I received. Um, The other bucket is I don't have any reason to believe that something like this or a few somethings in the racism, sexism, harassment, discrimination, racial bias, gender bias, any of these things um, would be true. There were people who who said that to me, multiple, more than one person that I asked about this who have worked or do work at the organization basically said that they don't know of anything that that would warrant a piece like this. Um, I will say, though, that a vast majority of, I think, the voices that you've heard who have a connection, recent or current, to the Suns as a employee, even Lindsay Smith over at PHNX on their show was one of the voices that said, and she worked there as recently as last summer, um, that there was, it was known. It was known that this was coming out. I think John Gambadoro and others have said that this piece was um, in the works as recently as 20, or as long ago as 2020. Um, that it was, I think there was rumor and reporting that it was potentially intended to go out right at the end of the regular season. I, I can't speak to why it did not. I would imagine with a piece like this and the, the 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 size of the allegations that seem to be coming soon that you want to cross every T and dot every single I. There can be legal challenge to something like this if it goes deep enough. And especially if there is not, you know, like we saw with Donald Sterling, which has been a comparison that for obvious reasons has already been made, in that situation, you you had audio evidence, right? In, in addition to a long history. So because there is no actual on-the-record history of Robert Sarver getting into any of these misconduct situations with employees, with in public settings, in, in private settings that leaked, nothing, right? I mean, we're, we're, we really are starting from scratch here, and there doesn't necessarily, from what we have heard so far, seem to be video or audio or photos or anything like that that incriminates Robert Sarver. So, as a result of that, I don't necessarily feel like there is a, a likelihood that something would um, jeopardize the future of Robert Sarver immediately. So you want to make sure in that case that you are going to make sure everything you're saying is 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 bulletproof. And that is why I think that this story did not come out yet. But generally speaking, um, a lot of the folks that I've spoken with and who have gone like Lindsay out publicly and talked about this, they knew this piece was coming, right? So to weave everything back together, the buckets of the folks that I spoke with are either I don't have any reason to believe that this is is true and, and I don't have firsthand experience with any such discrimination or B, I don't have any personal experience, but I'm not surprised to hear that other folks have dealt with that. And so I wasn't able to find anybody from the folks that I spoke with and or people like Lindsay who have come out publicly that have said I dealt with this personally. And so Again, as a final bow on this particular thread of the story, for now, I don't have anything of substance to to respond to with regard to what's being said. What I will say, lastly, and it, it goes to what Will is, is asking in, in your question, man, is 
you know, do Suns fans continue to support this team and this person as the owner? I think that'll depend on what is said, but I would try as much as you can while you're reading whatever comes out, hearing, seeing, whatever comes out this week, to think deeply about the fact that there are victims to what will come out. If we are going to read a story this week where Robert Sarver is accused of sexism and racism and creating a hostile workplace in that son's organization, as much as we want to jump to, you know, hurrah, hurrah, the king is dead type of reaction and celebration and jubilee, I understand the instinct from a basketball standpoint, from a competitiveness. We want this city and this market and this organization to be competitive and free of this person. I understand the instinct as a fan that you all might go to that place. But what I would urge everybody to do is to take a deep breath and realize there are people, 50 plus, according to John Gambadoro, who have been report re, um, interviewed for this report, that are victims to or witnesses of discrimination, hate, bias, bigotry. That is what's at the core of this. Potentially, according to Jordan Schultz's original report, harassment or outright, you know, physical and sexual, whatever might come down the path. That is serious. And people were at the victim of that. People were victim to that. So think about that and keep that in mind because that more than who owns this team, who calls the shots, who's, you know, out on the courtside seats come a month from now. What matters is those people went out of their way to speak about these things and they dealt with it and were the victims of it for apparently, allegedly, years. So please keep that in mind. I will continue to be on this story, react to it, respond to it, add to it throughout the week. And let's get to the basketball now. There's no easy way to jump to it. It's just uh, one of those things you have to do these days in sports. So we'll talk about the Lakers game. First, though, a quick word from Prize Picks. Prize Picks is the daily fantasy sports league that is made easy. We love it here at the Locked On Podcast Network, and we know you will too. Prize Picks has the best NBA daily fantasy prop game on the market. Prize Picks offers more NBA props than any other DFS prop operator and offers all the superstar players as well as bench players who only record a handful of minutes each game. Here is the deal you pick two to five players and an over under on their projections, and you can win up to 10 times on any entry. It's just you versus the projections. That is how you play. You are not competing against a pool. You're not competing against an opponent. You are picking two to five players and what you are competing against is the over under. That is the bottom line. You are not saying, will my lineup be better than my friend's lineup or better than this pool I joined? It is, can I beat the over unders with this lineup? All of our locked on users that deposit and use the promo code NBA while while supplies last, while the deal lasts, is what I mean to say, we'll receive a 100% instant deposit match up to 200, up to $100, 100% instant deposit match up to $100 at Prize Picks when you use the promo code NBA. That's double your money. So use the award-winning Prize Picks app on both the App Store and the Google Play Store. Prize Picks is, is safe and offers fast withdrawals. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less, so don't hesitate. Check out prizepicks.com, use the promo code NBA, or go to your app store and download the app today. Prize Picks, daily fantasy made easy. Today's show also brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Does this sound familiar? 
You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friend's login just for the good stuff as well. Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all the entertainment that you love without the hassle and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream and it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes, no need to buy another device ever again, and the best part, no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. 115-105 Suns victory on Friday night. Part one of a back-to-back on the road. Tough way to start the season. Takeaways from that in just one second. Thanks, guys, for making Locked on Suns your first listen. That's all I wanted to say. We'll get into it, though. Um, Appreciate you guys tuning in every day. Subscribe to the YouTube channel if you have not already. We're growing steadily here. That is at Locked on Suns on YouTube. You can go ahead and check the channel out. Constantly updating. Going to start to add little clips in and that type of thing as well. But let's get to this Lakers game. Again, 10-point win, 115-105. Could have been bigger. The Lakers did outscore the Suns 38-21 to in the fourth quarter to narrow the gap a bit. Um, I don't feel like the gap... This is where I want to start. I don't feel like the quality of play, the difference in quality of play from Wednesday's opener to this Friday game to the Saturday uh, loss in Portland, I don't think it's that different. And that might be a downer, but... Um, I kind of want to look through, look at it through that lens because I think that's helpful to kind of look at what actually are problems that have con- that have persisted throughout the week and what is something that sort of was randomness or different um, unique issues and a lot of that I think we'll talk about on the Portland side of this. But in the Lakers game, I would say the obvious successes, the things that worked that were consistent from the other games is the ball movement, frankly. Um, The ball has not been sticking. You can't say that that's been an issue in the offense. And on Friday in this win, it went particularly well. Um, Suns were able to get 31 assists, only 11 turnovers. That's an incredible mark. That's that's a Ricky Rubio era Suns stuff. Uh, Chris Paul had 14 of those, although he did also have the five turnovers, but Suns were able to take the lead by playing the offense that we know they need to play, generating three-pointers, getting easy shots, getting egalitarian looks, getting everybody involved. All that stuff was really, really working for them. And the other part of this game that really went well was the second quarter. And this was just surgical. It was precision. It was mean, frankly. The Suns get into the bonus about the 9 minute and 30 second mark of the second quarter really early on. Carmelo Anthony, I believe, committed a couple of those fouls and the Suns were able to use that and just slowly but surely get a lead built up. They outscored the Lakers 34-18 to in this game and got to the line 28 times. 10 of those were Chris Paul and I would venture to guess that a majority of Chris Paul's 10 free throws came in that second quarter. He has that na- that that just unnatural way of when the team is in the bonus he has all of these little tricks and cheap shots and everything else to get fouls and get to the line he doesn't try that 
That's, that's the thing people don't get. He doesn't try that stuff anymore when they're not in the bonus because he knows he's not going to necessarily get shooting fouls for it, especially now that they're policing the unorthodox shooting motion by players. But he will definitely try that stuff just to get a foul on the floor during a bonus situation because he knows he'll get free throws anyway. So they were able to do that, but the whole team did it and they were able to build the lead. They went into the second quarter down three. They came out of it up double digits. Excellent, excellent stuff. And from there, it was really just nursing that lead. The third quarter was huge as well for the Suns. They were moving the ball again. Mikhail Bridges was just beating LeBron James off the ball left and right. It was kind of an embarrassing defensive performance from LeBron in some moments. And the team, the Lakers, as I said in my preview thoughts on Thursday's show going into Friday was, look, this team is doesn't know what it is, doesn't know who it is, and the Suns can catch them sleeping. That's exactly what happened. We also have to talk, though, in this game about the uh, infighting because I'm sure Suns fans were watching this and celebrating and laughing. We had not only Anthony Davis and Dwight Howard getting into it for minutes at a time during a timeout in the second quarter during their collapse as their lead went away and the Suns just kept getting to the line and doing what they were doing. These guys are pushing at each other, barking at each other, falling apart at the seams. And then you have Rajon Rondo also getting into it with a home fan. Now, I don't know if it was a Lakers fan, and we know there's plenty of hateful people that think of these guys as pawns out there or worse. And so I'm not trying to say that this is sort of evidence of like team dysfunction, but it was just more noise and chaos for the Lakers. And then to top it all off, after the Suns have already taken their lead and and look to be in position to win this game, you have LeBron James just chewing out or trying to joke and and talk crap at campaign for the fact that he was out of the league a while ago. Find Find me the insult in yelling at a guy who has worked his butt off to get to a position where he's a millionaire signing a long term deal to stay on a championship team that he's the sixth man of and is beating your team on your home floor after this is the sixth straight time that you've lost to campaign sons? Where's the insult, LeBron? What's the joke here? What's the crap talk that you're trying to find in the middle of this complete pile of crap that your team just laid? Where's the, the, the criticism or silliness that you're trying to poke at campaign? Get out of here. Get out of here, LeBron James. Do better. You're 25 and 5 with five turnovers and two rebounds. Be better. Beat the Suns. Beat the Suns. Don't lose to them six straight times. I don't know what else to tell you. That was, I think, had to be the best part of all of it for Suns fans watching that game. So we will uh, we'll jump off here and get to the Portland game because that was a, a little bit more to get into. Less chaos and uh, a lot more of the other bad stuff. And I'll talk about it again through the lens of like, what do we really need to be worried about here long-term for the Suns? And we'll start with the transition defense, because I do think that's been a very, very bad sign. First though, a quick word from Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar ever. My favorite Built Bar, or my favorite protein bar, it is my favorite Built Bar, the one and only. Uh, And the healthiest candy bar ever is what Built Bar likes to say. And and really who could blame them? They are delicious. They are covered in 100% chocolate. They are soft and they're easy to chew. And their flavors are never ending. I believe I'm headed over to my family 
to have dinner tonight after I record this. And I believe I have another couple of boxes waiting for me that I can tell you guys about as they go on sale. Some of these winter seasonal favorites. I think last year they did peppermint white chocolate. So I would bet you that Bilt Bar will have some delicious Christmas time goodies, holiday time goodies awaiting you in just a few weeks, but they also have the classics, coconut, cherry, raspberry, double chocolate, salted caramel, all of them delicious, all of them less than 180 calories and five grams of sugar packed with 17 to 18 grams of protein. You can never go wrong, but there's also a flavor for everybody. So check them out. You can get a box full of 18 of your perfect favorites, the ones you know you love, or mix it up, get a combo box and get a little bit of everything. Whatever it might be, go to Built.com, check it out, put it in your cart, use the promo code LOCKED15 when you do to get 15% off your next order. Again, promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. Today's show also brought to you by Rock Auto. The ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's pretty impossible to walk into a chain store or heaven forbid a dealership and count on getting what you need at a reasonable price. It just does not happen. Trust me, I've gone in, I've been fully confident, fully knowledgeable. I need this. I need this. I'm going to pay this. And you walk in, you go to the thing, pull it off the rack or find it in the booklet. Guy tells you at the the counter what what you're going to be on the hook for. And what you say back is no thank you. And you walk back to your desk, you go to rockauto.com and you save money. So why choose to spend 30, 50, even a hundred percent more for the same parts at a dealership or chain store when you can go to rockauto.com to the same exact stuff, same quality, probably quicker, honestly, because half the time you go to these places, they can't even ship it in time. And uh, Rock Auto cuts that part out as well. You just type in your car, scroll down to the part that you need, click purchase, and it is at your door within days. Go to rockauto.com right now, see all the parts available for your car or truck. And when you make your purchase, write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. Closing out the show, final thoughts on the Suns back to back on the road on the West Coast. Thanks again for making Locked On Suns your first listen on YouTube or your favorite audio platform each and every morning. Part two of this thing did not go so well. Double-digit win for the Suns on the first end, double-digit loss on the back end. And this one was also a tale of a flip in this game because in the Lakers game, the Suns were dominant in the second half, not so much in the first half. In this game, the Trailblazers really got off to a hot start and never looked back. The the Blazers were up 67-47, to before anyone could even blink, and the transition defense is where we have to start. Um, Because I was saying that some of the things that might look bad in in this game and in the Nuggets game were not necessarily sustainable, and I don't worry about them, and some were. Transition defense is one where I totally do worry. It's been terrible. The, The Blazers had 21 fast break points in this game. Um... The, it was it was probably one of the worst things about the Suns' performance in the Nuggets game as well. I don't know how many fast break points they specifically had, Denver, but I can tell you for sure that there were moments even prior to trying to tell you guys about it now where I was watching that Denver game thinking they are really getting smoked. When Jokic was handling the ball up the floor, they're double teaming guys on the perimeter and then, and leaving an easy one pass away shooter wide open. 
Um, these things are are have been there for three games now. And yes, it's the defense. Yes, it's miscommunication. Yes, it's integrating. You have Nader, you have um, Shamit, and you have McGee all trying to be integrated. And I do think a lot of the problems have cropped up a lot more with the bench unit or with combo bench starter units than it has necessarily with the starters. But it's not just the fact that there's that miscommunication and and bad decision-making happening in transition. You're also seeing that the bad shot selection, and I do want to be fair, sometimes just flat out missing, you know, missing easy looks. That was something the Nuggets, uh, in the Nuggets game, that was pretty obvious. I think it was definitely the case in this Portland game as well, where the Suns were just missing shots that they normally do not miss. And at the end of the day, like they went nine of 28 from deep in this game. I wish that, you know, you wish that they generate more than that. That's not a very good number. Um, Jay Crowder, I believe is two of 15 from deep. So when you're make when you're missing threes, or you're missing layups, especially when you miss threes, there's long rebounds and that can help teams, you know, get out on the break faster. When you miss layups, especially with how the Suns do things where there's almost always going to be guys in the corners and often a person, Aiton typically, or McGee at the basket in either the dunker spot or attacking the offensive glass or rolling to the basket, that could be up to four players underneath of the basket when the other team gets a rebound off of a missed layup or floater or mid-range look, and now they're going with numbers the other direction. So these are compounding problems. It's not super great shot selection. I was saying the ball's moving. I think that's for sure true, but I think guys are tentative. I think the new players aren't necessarily taking advantage of their green light all the way. I think you're seeing a lot high turnover games for the Suns, and all of that stuff is making it so that their transition defense is being put into a very bad spot. So that's a bad, right? And that's been an issue for all three of Monty Williams' seasons. I'm not putting that on him, but I think the personnel shows us that there are some problems. Um, I think part of it is the way that the offense works, where they want to move the ball a lot. They want to take a lot of threes. They, you know, we have a player on the floor at all times here where Aiton is going to be around the basket, which is going to create some of those floor balance issues. So anyway, those are just a few guesses, but I also think it just needs to be better. It's obvious that it needs to be better. And I do think it's something worth monitoring. That one is pretty legit to me. On the other hand, to be fair to this team, Portland was hitting ridiculous shots. And that, there, I mean, there's no way around that. So I wanted to walk you guys through what I kind of saw out of the Trailblazers in terms of... Um, the rhythm of the game, because early on, you could tell it was a very distinct decision on their part to attack Chris Paul without a screen. Because when they were screening, when Paul was having to de- defend a screen, whether that was another small player, he started out the game on, on Norm Powell. And whether that was somebody smaller screening for Powell or somebody bigger like Covington, Paul was switching. And so they didn't want to do, they saw that a couple times. They didn't want to have him be able to switch because then you're getting a better defender on Powell anyway. So what they were starting to do is they would have Powell slip a screen. So right when the Suns are trying to switch, Powell's cutting to the basket. They were having Powell just cut straight up and they were attacking in transition where Powell was able to just get ahead of steam. So Powell scores 16 points in the first 12 minutes that he plays. Um, he goes out with an injury, seems not to be very serious. He may be out for a bit, but nothing major Uh, after he sits, not just because of the injury, but just goes to the bench, what they started to do is CJ McCollum with the screen. 
because Devin Booker, Abdul Nader, Chris Paul, these guys were defending McCollum. And Nurkic and Cody Zeller, both of their bigs, are very good screeners. The son, uh, Alfred Payton was also defending CJ McCollum at points during this stretch. Guys are just getting slammed on these screens. And so very simple spread pick and roll, big man screening for CJ, shooters everywhere else. Even when Dame was on the floor, he was spacing because CJ was cooking so bad. That's how, C- how the Blazers were able to build and CJ are able to build their double digit lead. And then it, how it got ugly is back to this core problem. The Suns were taking god awful shots and not getting to the flow of the offense. You had a, a mid-range, a, a catch-and-shoot mid-range, long mid-range shot from JaVale McGee. You had a couple of bad mid-range shots from Alfred Payton. You had a floater from Mikhail Bridges that didn't go in, and it started to be two, three, four in a row. I think you had a stretch in there where um, somebody missed, um, yeah, I believe McGee missed both of his free throws at one point in that stretch, turnovers, and the lead got to 20. Third quarter comes around. Suns are, you know, staying competitive for the most part. Portland continues to hit just ridiculous shots. McCollum again, a lot of it. But they're playing with poor energy. Poor, poor, poor energy. I know Booker is coming off of COVID. This team is integrating new pieces. It was a back-to-back. But at the end of the day, it's game three of the season. Game three of the season. They were not getting loose balls, not playing with energy. And that's the type of thing where I'm sure you guys were as, as fans watching that thing looking, you know, how on earth can this be happening? You cannot down 20 in a winnable game against a division or a a division, yes, but most importantly, conference rival early in the season, come out and lay an egg like that. When you you go down 20, you want to hit the ground running in the second half. And sure, CJ can stay hot and the Suns have shown they can fight fire with fire. They did not do that. You look at the, the, the thing at the bottom box score at the end of the game, 14 turnovers and, uh, you know, regrettable, disappointing, and and frankly, embarrassing loss. So that just shows how things can compound. You have to get back into a rhythm and at least do something. Take advantage of the ball movement. Continue to find good shots. Get to the basket more often. Put the ball in Devin Booker's hands more because he was playing well. I don't necessarily feel like any one of those things is an answer, but you have to be able to fix those mistakes in stride. Adjust in-game when something's not working, when you're not having the success that you want and be able to get back into games. Because at the end of the day, look, Portland scored 34. Some of that was self-inflicted by the Suns. Some of that was bonkers shots. But the Suns can win a 130s game. We know that. So the fact that the Trailblazers were hitting ridiculous shots is not an excuse. And the Suns should have won this game. They should have been able to get back into this game, at least is what I'll say. Maybe, you know, Damon CJ and that backcourt and everything else, you know, you don't end up getting the job done, but you should at least be able to make it close, even with the early deficit, because that's what great teams do. Suns didn't do that, and they'll have a chance to redeem themselves on Wednesday against Sacramento. Between now and then, we will have a lot to talk about with the Robert Sarver story, so you will keep it right here on Locked on Suns, YouTube, Spotify, Apple, wherever you listen or watch. I'll be here every single day with you, hoping to get some guests as well to react to this news, and, uh, keep you informed. Keep you informed as we go through this adventure together. So thank you once again for listening and I'll be back tomorrow.